Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. So glad you guys are here today. How many of you guys are ready to have some fun in church this morning? Anybody ready to have some fun? Come on, make some noise. Good, that's right. You know, hey, it doesn't get more fun than chomping on churros in church. Am I right? We already got that box, got that one checked. So it's gonna be a lot of fun today. Raise your hand if you have seen Aquaman. Raise your hands. Okay, so about... Um, 40%, maybe even close to half. If you haven't seen the movie, then really that clip we spliced together, which by the way, our media team has been losing their minds in the best kind of way, putting all this stuff together. Can we give a round applause for them? They're incredible. And let's keep that going for our connections team, the one passing out the churros, making sure everybody knows where to sit, making the movie house series exciting. But that clip really doesn't explain the movie nearly enough. And so let me give you this mental word picture, if you will. If you haven't seen the movie, just imagine. It's got Power Rangers and Tron Legacy, and they have a baby and put it in the ocean. That's Aquaman. You've seen it. You can picture that. You've seen the movie. Spare yourself a dime. Now, it's exciting for me to be able to preach to you by using Aquaman as the setup and you'll be able to discover some of the more significant reasons as to why in just a moment. But I wanted you to know I wasn't the only one excited about Aquaman. On my Monday staff meeting, which is mainly comprised of females, it's an important detail in this story, and they asked me, what movie are we watching this weekend? And I said, Aquaman. And they erupted in a giddiness I've never experienced before from them. And I thought, how sweet, they're so excited that I'm preaching again. Thanks, guys. And that bubble was burst. They were like, we don't care about your preaching. We want to see Jason Momoa on the big screen. <laughs> now, I was like, come on. It's not like you don't have access to Google Images. You can look at them all day long if you want to. And then reality set in. And I was like, yeah, he's got a good thing going on. He's a, he's a stud. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Point taken. You know, in fact, Jason Momoa as Aquaman, it's like H2. Hello, come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. My, my lady friend over here, she's real excited about that one. <laughs> Love it. In fact, why don't we do something together? Why don't we get something trending on Twitter? Let's go ahead and start a Twitter campaign and try to lobby Hollywood and convince him to cast Jason Momoa as Jesus in Passion of the Christ 2. How about that? Would that be exciting? You talk about the gospel reaching the four corners of the earth. People who wouldn't come into church go see that movie getting saved. It's exciting. It'd be amazing. Are right, y'all stop it. This is church. We got something important to talk about today. How about that clip we just saw? So here's what basically happened. Jason Momoa's character, Aquaman, he discovered that he had some very unique gifts, talents, and abilities at a very early age. He just lacked the clarity and the confidence to exercise them for a higher calling. Until the sea princess in that green outfit, her name is Mara, she shows up out of nowhere and she argues with him a little bit and then convinces him to use those gifts and talents to serve a higher purpose. That purpose, that calling was that we needed the, the salvation. The whole world was about to be dominated, obliterated by his half-brother Orm. See, Aquaman had a unique calling on his life. So do you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has a very specific assignment for you, a unique purpose 
that only you can fulfill. And if you believe that, then how many of you want to know exactly what that plan is? Me and three people, awesome, (laughs) sounds good. This is really gonna be powerful for the three of us. Here's the point. Every single person, whether you're a Christian or an atheist, you're agnostic, you're coming out of a, a different religious background, every single person has inside of them this desire to discover the meaning of life. We wanna know why we're here. What's my purpose? You see, a Christian just asks that question very specifically. They say, God, what do you want from me? Why did you make me? What's my purpose? What's my calling? And here's the tragic part about all of this is that very few people, and I'll lump Christians into that category too, very few people actually truly discover their God-given purpose. Why? Because they spend most of their life floundering around from job to job and relationship to relationship, place to place, all in search of significance and satisfaction. But in the end, they are left disillusioned and disappointed, even though they may have found some success along the way. We're not the only ones that know that. The king, he knew it too. Talking about the king of rock and roll. Got any Elvis fans in the house tonight or this morning? Elvis fans out there? Okay, now's your chance to prove it. You already put yourself out there. You ready? You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Come on. Crying all the time. Come on, clap it up, sing it. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Just you guys. Crying all the time. Come on, take it away. Well, you ain't. Snare drum. Ah, oh, would that have been cool, wouldn't it have? But you guys were amazing. You know, I think about how many artists are there out there that have a song, much less a bunch of songs, that when we spontaneously decide to sing together without this being coordinated, that we can all sing it in unison, clapping on the two and the four with success. There's very few people I can think of that are that successful that would allow something like that to be orchestrated. But Elvis was. You don't get more successful than Elvis. But the point in time when he died, he had 300 people who were professional impersonators. That's amazing. And now there are thousands of people who their main livelihood is impersonating Elvis. Before I left my house today, there was an Elvis impersonator on my couch drinking coffee and I wasn't even upset about it. I just said, you just clean up after yourself and lock up before you leave. He sold millions of albums. It's estimated he has over a billion fans. And every single day, people hear his music for the very first time. Bless you. Bless you again, second row. (laughs) They hear his music every single day and they become fans of his. The number of people who admire, follow Elvis is ever growing. You don't get more successful than Elvis and yet he was unfulfilled. But don't just take my word for it. I'm gonna read to you a posting in the Reader's Digest. This was his daughter, Elvis's daughter, some things she had to say about her father just after he passed. Here's what she said. Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose was in life. He thought he was here for a reason, maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. And that agonizing desire was always with him and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage every single night so he didn't have to think about it. That's Elvis. Even though he had so much success, he still had this desire in him and this draw to something that he never found. Elvis missed his calling. 
But you and I don't have to. We don't have to go throughout life meandering and floundering and never find that meaning and that purpose in our lives. So what gives? What do we have to do? It really is simple, but simple is not easy. We gotta yield to the Lord. We yield our lives to him, his will, his way, and not our own. You won't be satisfied by anything else. Doesn't matter how many friends you have, how many followers you get on social media. Doesn't matter how high you climb up in the hierarchy in your corporation. Doesn't matter how big of a house you build or how valuable your portfolio becomes, although those are all great things. If you achieve all of that independent of discovering and carrying out God's unique calling for your life, you will never be satisfied. Knowing your calling in life is second only to knowing Christ as your savior in terms of significance and meaning. And that's why I've chosen to dedicate my message to you to help all of us discover the keys to your calling. The keys to your calling. Now the word calling, it really is ambiguous, isn't it? If I were to go around and ask each individual, what is a calling? There'd be so many different answers. And some of that is because culture has hijacked this word and they've defined it for us. They've made calling synonymous with career. And so we agonize, don't we, about what, what job should I take? That really, when we ask God, what do you want me to do? We're talking about what do we want us to do? We're talking about a career instead of saying, who do you want me to be? So we've made calling synonymous with career. And although you can have a career while completing your calling, they are not the same thing. Your career is not the sum total of your calling. So maybe it's better for us to define this word calling by talking about what it's not. Like we're gonna do some process of elimination. So here we go. Your calling is not an itinerary. It's not as if God is going to give you a syllabus and have everything that you need to do in your life to be able to carry out your calling. At the outset, mind you, before something significant is supposed to happen in your life. There's a point in time when I was very young and I became a Christian around 15 and I was just diving right in. You know when you're young and, and you become a Christian or maybe you're old and you become a Christian and you're so excited and so you're trying to figure everything out, that was me. What's my calling, Lord? I'm ready. And so I thought if I go to camp and get away from all the distractions, get with my friends who love Jesus and, and we're gonna spend some time together then I'm gonna discover my calling or maybe I need to go to the church retreat. And here's what I discovered. Even though I did those things and God did something in me, I didn't discover, discover it all. It wasn't an itinerary that God gave to me. And so then I thought, well, maybe the, maybe the problem is, thank you, Lord, for giving me a flyover for church. You know, I was preaching today, it's exciting. <laughs> maybe instead of going to camp, maybe I need to go to my closet. See, I've always heard people talk about having a prayer closet. So maybe I go into my closet and I shut the door until my mom to stay out nicely. Please give me some time. I set my phone outside and I go in there in the darkness. Maybe then I'll hear God call me and download the itinerary. And when he speaks to me, he will sound like James Earl Jones. There I am in my closet. Scott. Yes, Lord, I'm, I'm listening. Here's the plan. You will marry a foxy lady named Jessica. All right. Tell me more, Jesus. You will father two beautiful children. Ooh, that sounds like a whole lot of fun. Can't wait for that. Anything else, Lord? Of course. You will become a pastor at the Met Church, and you must wear tight pants. Got you covered, Jesus. Got you covered. It's like he's gonna give us an itinerary and a plan. It never works that way. But it doesn't stop us from trying. 
I mean, we're gonna do everything we can. We're gonna read every book. We're gonna listen to every sermon. We're gonna come to every church service. We're gonna get into groups, which is great. You wanna get into a group? We got some groups pastors down here. They can talk to you front row. They can talk to you after the service. You wanna go to improv night? That was awesome. It's Friday. Well done, team. Let's give a round of applause for everybody who pulled off improv night. Spontaneous applause. Love that. We'll do all these things. And it'll be great. And then God, in those moments, because we're doing good things, he's gonna give us the goods. He's gonna give us the entire plan. It doesn't work that way, but it'll stop us from trying. And so when we start to lose heart and we're still floundering, trying to figure out what God's call is for our life, we can't read in a book, can't see it in a service, we're not hearing it in a sermon. What do we do? We get frustrated. We start to imagine, well, maybe God doesn't like me after all. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe it's me. And we've looked everywhere possible and still can't find our calling. You know where we look? Facebook. Maybe this holds the keys to my calling. And then we discovered, wait a minute. Seems like everybody, all my friends, they've already, they've already conquered their calling and they're carrying it out because they're so joyful. Because <laughs> I know if I discover my calling, I'm gonna have joy. And so surely everything I see on Facebook is the ac- accurate entire portrayal of their lives. <laughs> so maybe they hold the keys to my calling. Well, okay, well, what, what do you do? What do you do for a living? Okay, where do you go to church? Oh, God's over there? He's not, okay, good. And then what else? Okay, so then maybe, I, I just need to do what you're doing so I can discover my calling. But since when has God's call in your life been so cheap that you can simply just copy someone else's life and paste it into yours? And we do it all the time. We're floundering. That's not how it works. But Lord, what am I supposed to do? Who am I? What's your purpose for my life? I'm trying to figure this out. And so I'm obsessing over all the details because I just thought you would delineate the design in great detail from the outset. It hasn't happened. Listen, God's call in your life is not an itinerary. It's more of an experiment. You walk by faith and not by sight. Let me, let me summarize this in one sentence. You might wanna write this down so that way later on you can munch on it while you're munching on lunch. God's call in your life is less about you accepting a position or arriving in a place as much as it is about you actualizing a process. I don't usually repeat myself, but I really want you to let this soak in. God's calling on your life is less about you arriving at a place or accepting a position as much as it is about you actualizing a process. Here's what I mean. We make it about, if I get this job, I'm answering God's call. That's that's a position. Or if I move here, I, I go to this church, I go to this place, that's God's call. It might be a part of it, but it's not the sum total of it. It's about a process. I've discovered that God illuminates the plan when I insert myself into a process. So how do I preach about discovering the keys of your calling to an audience that's so diverse? Different life stages, different demographics, races, creeds, life experiences, hopes, and dreams, passions, and past pains. How do I do that? And be accurate and honest, because I don't know what God has called you to do. Here's how. I focus less on the plan, because that's unique to your life. I focus more on the process, which is common to all of us. I hope someone's getting out of this, something out of this today. We're gonna talk about the process. Point number one, you wanna know the keys you're calling? Here's the process. Number one, determine the goal. Determine the goal. Failure to plan is a plan to fail. You've heard that, I'm sure. You gotta determine the goal if you wanna carry out God's call. There's a story in Mark chapter 10 when Jesus is with his disciples. They're making their way into Jerusalem. He's got all, all 12 of them. And just before they get into Jerusalem, two of the disciples, who are brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Uh, the sons of thunder, they have this brilliant plan to break away from the pack 
and go make a pitch to Jesus. Second time. Now, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and ask it. How many of you have ever seen The Bachelor or Bachelorette? You heathen, you're in church, you can't watch that show. I'm just kidding, I'll watch it too. It's kind of like The Bachelor. You know how, how one of them gets this really great idea to break away from the pack and try to find some one-on-one time with The Bachelor or Bachelorette? You know why they do that? Because they're trying to build a relationship very quick and they're trying to posture and position themselves for a prize. See, James and John wanted a prize. And so they decided to position themselves next to the one who can give them the prize, that's Jesus. So they break away from the pack and I don't, I'm a paraphrase. Here's kind of what it went like. James and John, they're like, now's our chance, let's go. Jesus, shh, shh, Jesus. Hey, <laughs> hey, Jesus. So John and I, we're just back there with the guys. <laughs> we're talking about the kingdom that you're always talking about. And we want you to know that we've always liked castles. And we've always wondered what it'd be like to live inside of one. So, oh, oh, stop it. Okay, I got it. So, so we thought since we're two of your favorites and since it would be really cool uh, for us to hang out with you, that maybe we could be your roommates and one of us will sit on the right side of you and the other one will sit on the, the left side of you. What do you think? See, James and John, they knew Jesus was Lord and that he's building a kingdom. They just didn't fully understand what kind of kingdom. See, they thought he was gonna overthrow the Roman government and establish his kingdom and build castles right there in Jerusalem and build his kingdom outward. But that's not the kingdom that Jesus was talking about. He's talking about his heavenly kingdom. And one day he will bring that heavenly kingdom to the earth. But James and John, they, they had this confused. They were focusing more on arguing with one another about who gets to be the supreme taco in the kingdom. And you know, the boys back in town, you know, the disciples, the other 10, they were livid. They were so upset. How dare James and John try to manipulate Jesus and break away from the pack to have some one-on-one -on -one time with him to be able to maneuver themselves and position themselves in a place that we want for us. See, Jesus knew the tensions were flaring. He understood that controversy was stirring. And so coach Jesus gets the team together. And I'll read you what the coach says, but it's basically this. He's saying, hey, hey, listen team, I know you wanna be a quarterback, but you're six foot five, 330 pounds. It's not a good idea. And, and I know you wanna be a left tackle, but you're 5'9", 140. It's not a good idea. Here's what you need to do. Stop focusing on getting a different job, a different position, and assume that's gonna give you joy. You just do your job, and then you'll have your joy. He's saying, don't, 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 don't believe that if you can get a different position, then you'll find your purpose. You just fulfill your purpose and then God will find you a position. So here's what Jesus says to the disciples. Mark chapter 10, verse 41. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you for the most important words in the Bible for Christians. Not so with you. I know the world says, act one way. I know the world says, run your business this way. I know the world says that this is what a relationship is supposed to look like, but not so with you. And that's for your own good. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The disciples were livid and angry. But did you notice that Jesus 
wasn't angry with James and John for the stunt they pulled? Did you notice that, that Jesus, he did not reject James and John? He didn't rebuke them because they had a desire to aspire to a position of greatness and influence? You see, that's the devil trying to shame us to think that we wanna be in a position of greatness and influence. That, that comes from the devil. What Jesus will reject is, is how you get there. See, he just doesn't want us to become like the, the high officials because those, those cats, they were the ones that would do whatever it took to be able to get that position they wanted. No matter how many people they had to stomp on, how many corners they had to cut, how many things they had to do that was illegal, as long as they got there, that's what mattered. And once they got there, they exercised that authority in an abusive, malicious, malfeasant way. And Jesus is saying, not so with you. I am for you achieving. I am for your success, but I want you to do it the right way. There's a process that I'm putting you through to discover and carry out your calling. See, if you get there by the wrong means, you'll govern when you're there with the wrong motives. It'll destroy you and take down everybody in your circumference of influence along with you. It's the process that God wants us to go through to discover our calling and carry it out must be focused on a goal. What's the goal? What's the mission? Jesus says it right here. Here's Jesus' mission statement. If Jesus is a business owner, this is the mission statement that he posts online, God.com. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Why would God have a goal for you and I that's any less than the goal and mission he had for his own son? He wouldn't. So what's our mission? What's our goal to, to discover and carry out our calling? It's a life of service to others. It's amazing to me how Jesus ascended to the highest and greatest of all positions. He's, he's seated right now at the right hand of the Father on a throne. Mm. That's mighty. That's high. However, God called him to a position of superiority after he called him to a process of serving. That's the goal. It's impossible for you to discover your calling outside the context of serving other people. For us, life is not, or should not be about, the call for God on us is not what can be done for me, but what can I do for him and for them? But we gotta determine that goal and be determined to chase after that goal. It's a life of putting others ahead of ourselves. Determine the goal. And then number two, discover your gifts. Discover your gifts. If you're an overachiever, you're already way ahead of me. You're like, okay, I see what's going on here. D's and G's, double alliteration. All right now, go ahead and take a stab at that third blanks. Have a great time at it. God has given you a particular set of personality traits and dispositions. And when they work together, that is responsible for your mental makeup. You with me? But for believers, people who have chosen to follow Jesus, he's given you a gift or a set of gifts that are responsible for your spiritual makeup. And whenever your mental makeup and your spiritual makeup, your personality traits and your spiritual giftings are working in concert with one another, it makes God's call on your life so much more clear and vibrant. The apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he begins the, the chapter in this way. I do not want you to be unaware of spiritual gifts. Now think about that for a minute. He's writing to the church. And yet, he's telling them that they don't know that they have something, that God's given them a gift that they're unaware of. How is it possible that Christians who experienced these miraculous things in the early church, how is it possible they didn't know they were gifted? 
because no one told him. That's why Paul was telling them. So it makes me wonder how many Christians in churches, maybe even in this room right now, don't know that they have a gift in their possession that God's given to them. And if you don't know it, that's why I'm telling you, so that you know it. And you might be thinking, well, hold on, Scott, because when I was growing up, I had, I had one of those sessions with parent, uh, teacher, uh, counseling sessions, and, and the parents, my parent, my mom, and my teacher, they both told me, I'm sorry, you just don't qualify for the gifted and talented program. Don't do it, I'm sorry. You're, you're, you're gonna be great, but just don't, you're not gifted. Well, I'm here to tell you, sweetheart, you qualify for this gifted and talented program. You got a gift. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to how Paul continues in the next portion, verse four through 11. God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere. You see a trend building, but God himself is behind it all. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. That sounds like a calling being carried out. Everyone gets on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the spirit and to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. See, Paul, the apostle, he was Oprah before Oprah was Oprah. You get a gift and you get a gift. You're all getting gifts. Amazing. That's how God is. When God gives, he gives inclusively and indiscriminately. Each one, everyone, all kinds, each person gets a gift. Our job is not to convince God to give it to us. Our job is to give it to ourselves that he's already given it to us. Whew. So you gotta discover what the gift is and then do something with it. Here's the best way I can maybe give you an illustration to describe the difference. Uh, do you guys remember those old uh, standard definition TVs that nobody has anymore? I mean, just blurry. It was awful. But did you know it at the time? Me neither. Sometimes I'm a Longhorn fan, hook them. Right there, Longhorn fans. And so I watched Longhorn Network way too much. And I like to watch the old, old uh, games when they won championships, when they were good. And so they're getting better. Um, and the, the picture is just terrible, grainy, awful, but we didn't know it back then. You put a standard def next to a, a 4K Ultra and you're like, whoa, what's going on? I've got a 720p plasma at my house. Yes, feel sorry for me, you're right. <laughs> and it's not very good. And when I watch news and I'm looking at journalists or I'm watching stuff where people's faces are close up and it's kind of blurry, I don't really notice any kind of um, features that are less than perfect. Um, but when I went to my father-in-law's house who has like a 170 inch uh, 4K Ultra TV and I was watching the same show I normally watch at my house and, and I got up real close and I'm like, those blackheads, gross. Like you can see everything. My point is when you live your life in standard death, that's you not knowing you have gifts. When you know that God's given you gifts and you operate them, all of a sudden life becomes vibrant and clear and you're excited about life. And here's why, because design reveals destiny. When you know how you're designed, you know how to operate in your destiny. You've been designed with gifts. You just gotta discover what they are. I'm in a really exciting time in my life. Both of my little kids, they do what I tell them to do. and they really listen to me, they're nine and six. It's most exciting because of things like this. We were having our nighttime, bedtime routine, Jessica and I, we all pray together, read the Bible, and then we break up, and Jessica goes and takes one kiddo, and I take the other kiddo, and then we swap, we have some time with each of them, and I was with my oldest, Adeline, about a month ago, and I had something in my heart I wanted to share with her, I was just looking for the right time, and then God prompted me, this is the moment to be able to do it, and, and whenever she finally stopped talking, <laughs> then was my chance. So I looked at her, and I said, Adeline, got something real special to tell you today. She said, really, Daddy, what is it? 
said, God has given you a gift. And her eyes went like this. Yes, they got really big because it was dark in there and they were already dilated. I get that. But they got even bigger. She was so excited. I said, oh yeah, really daddy? Oh yeah. God has given you a spiritual gift. And I sense that one of the gifts he's given you is the gift of hospitality. And here's why. I've been watching you, baby girl, since you were a little bitty and seeing how God has wired you and how you work that out. And now, since you become a Christian, I'm seeing how that wiring has exploded and you're doing things even more so than you've done before. And I see how you serve people. You use that gift of hospitality by making people feel special. You show them you care. You're good at sharing. I see how you, even if you meet a stranger, you're so nice, you go right up to him and say hi, which is why I'm praying you also get the gift of jujitsu. <laughs> Be careful of those strangers. You have the gift of hospitality. She's like, really, Dad? I do do those things, don't I? I said, yes, you do. And then she said, how many more gifts do I have? <laughs> Just like an eight-year-old, nine-year-old would say. I said, I don't know, but let's work this one out. And then, then a couple of weeks passed by, two weeks, there's a two weekends ago from today, and I was preaching and, and Jessica was back volunteering to met kids like she always does. And, and this little girl came in, it was her first, her first time. And one of Jessica's job is to make sure everything works properly and, and make sure visiting kids get connected. And so she got this little girl and got her connected and, and the little girl sat down with some other girls and, and the other girls didn't really know what to do. And they're like, oh, blah, 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 hi, I don't know. What's your name? Oh, okay, that's all I got. And then Jessica went over to Adeline and said, hey, Adeline, mm, there's, a, there's a girl over there. It's her very first time. That's all she said. And then Adam looked at mommy and she's like, I'm on it. Hospitality, got it. <laughs> so right over there, loved on that little girl. See, here's the deal. When you discover how your design, it reveals destiny and brings significance and meaning into your life. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more exciting for a daddy than to be able to look at his kids and say, God has gifted you and I'm helping you discover those gifts. It brings meaning, significance to your life. So what you need to do is, Take a spiritual gift test. They're on, they're on the webs online. You can take one, they're free. And then also take a personality test, and here's why. Because when it comes to God gifting you, he will never give you a gift that will work against you. He'll never give you a gift that will work against your wiring. And if he's wired you, like, like if you have, I don't know, the gift of administration, or if you're, if you're naturally organized, he's probably not gonna give you the gift of teaching. Because you'll get up there, lights come on, you're like... I just wanna organize that real quick. He's never gonna give you a gift that works against your wiring. It's always gonna be compatible. So your, your wiring and your gifts, your personality, those two can work in concert together to not only help you have confidence, but competence to carry out your call. And here's some great news, because God will call you to a place that's outside of your comfort. He'll never call you to a place that's outside of your competency. And here's why I know, because the gifts help you overcome the gap of your competency. But he will call you to a place that's not comfortable, which is why you need to discover those gifts. And then the third point, Deliver the goods. Determine the goal, discover your gifts, deliver the goods. Everything that God gives to you that's good, God intended to be flowed to you so that it may be flowed through you. Listen to Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's delivery system of his goodness is serving. So the last key to your calling is delivering the goodness of God to people in your life. Which people? All people, even jerks. Depends on how much of God's call you wanna pick up. Yeah, even jerks. In Matthew chapter five, verse 41, Jesus was telling an audience something very significant. He said, if someone makes you go one mile with him, you go two miles. 
Now, he, he didn't give us that awesome line so that way sales managers who are short on their quota can rally the troops and give them a motivational one-liner. Come on, guys, we're short on the quota. Let's go the extra mile, yeah, you know? Although it's great to incorporate scripture anytime you have a business meeting, I think it always will bless you. But he did that to be able to make the people he was speaking to feel uncomfortable, and it made them feel uncomfortable. They didn't like it, they didn't wanna hear it, and they knew exactly what he was saying. Because in that day and time, if a Roman soldier came up to you and said, stop what you're doing right now and carry my equipment, they had to under the law. And it was within his legal uh, ability to be able to make you do that. If you could be on your way to fetch a pail of, pitch, a, pitch a pail of water, to go bring back to your family so they can survive and have a drink of water. You could be playing rock Jenga with your little boy. It's great. I don't know what they did in 30 AD. I'm just, I'm really, I'm reaching for stuff right now. I don't know, you could be doing anything you wanna do. And if a Roman soldier came up to you and said, stop what you're doing right now. You pick up my equipment. You carry it a mile. Jesus says, here's what you do. You put that little, I'm excited that you called me up, look on your face. You put on that equipment and you, you which direction are we going, sir? This way, great. When you get to the end of that mile and the Roman soldier stops, you look at him and say, what's wrong with you? I got at least one more mile in me, come on. You keep going, why? Because if you wanna make a difference, you gotta be different. We live in a self-serve, selfie-centered society, don't we? Self-serve is a great business model if you own a Froyo shop or a gas station. It's a terrible business model if you wanna do God's business because if serving is all about what's in it for you, it's self-service, it's not service. Real service requires sacrifice and discomfort. If you wanna do something great, you're gonna have to show some grit. Woo! How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say no planks, no abs? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's gonna require some sacrifice. It's gonna be uncomfortable. You gotta deliver those goods and be prepared for people to be unprepared. <laughs> be prepared for people to be unprepared for the goods you're delivering. I was at Kroger the other day, well, excuse me, the other day. That's how I start every story. <laughs> I was at Kroger several years ago before we had kids. And Jessica and I were there and we were at the checkout line and, and I had a lot of groceries today and, and she forgot to pick up something. So she left when I got to the checkout line, she went to go find out whatever she needed to get. And so I started loading the groceries on the conveyor belt and I looked up and I noticed that the cashier did not look pleased to check out my large grocery pile. She was kind of angry. So I decided, decided to turn it up and deliver the goods, baby. So I was like, hi, how are you? Fine. Oh, Marge Simpson works at Kroger. Okay, great. Now I know. Hey, I'm just so thankful for you because, you know, I don't like to check out my own groceries anyways because this self-checkout thing is new technology at this point. And, and also, I've got a lot of groceries here. I got a lot of produce. I don't like looking up the codes and all that stuff. So I'm just so thankful for you. Add so much value and joy to my life. Mm-hmm. How long have you been working here anyways? Yeah, I bet you've been employee of the month a couple of times. She stopped, well, she, she stopped checking out. She looked me right in the eyes and she said this verbatim. I am married, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you're whatever age you are and I'm 22. You're giving yourself a lot of credit, lady. <laughs> Not to say that, I wanted to say that. But just then Jessica walked up and I was like, me too. <laughs> See, people aren't, they're not ready for it. Some people think light's too bright, but shine it. Shine it anyway. You are, you're on the interstate and you've been sitting in traffic and you gotta get home. You've been in this line way too long and people are passing by you on the shoulder. I hate when they do that. And they're waving at you like, sucker. And you're, you're waving at them too. No, <laughs> two. You're staying in line. 
But you get to the point in time whenever the, the shoulder converges and now they gotta get over. And the same guy who went all the way up there, now he wants in. And you're like, no. You remember Jesus says, go the extra mile. And so he's like, can I get in? You're like, come on in. Come on. And he gets in and somebody, some slick guy right behind him thinks you're waving to him too. So he tries his, just getting in there. Instead of giving him the finger, give him 10 fingers, clasped together, send up a prayer for the brother. Come on. <laughs> going to Walmart, they greet you, you greet them first. I love going to Chick-fil-A. And whenever I order something and I say thank you, I like to beat them to the punch. I'm like, thank you. Before they say my pleasure, like, my, my pleasure. <laughs> Two. <laughs> you're at Uncle Julio's? Big weight, big, you're going out to ride for church, big weight. And you and your family of four like mine, you're ready to go inside, you touch the door and you see a family of 12 coming up and you hear, you hear Jesus say, hey, go the extra mile. And you're like, oh, come on in, take all the tables, it's fine. No problem, it's fine, got it. Serve somewhere in our church, be a greeter, be an usher, be a, be a part of our connections team, lead a table in a life, in a life group, be in kids ministry, in student ministry, be on our worship team, or do something really fun. See how fun it is for them? They love that. They love it. So you can gain some confidence, some competency to carry out your calling here so you can carry it out out there. Listen, your significance will be solidified through your service. So you gotta deliver the goods. Come on, Aquaman. You're not one of a million. You're not one of a billion. You're one of one. We need you to discover your calling by determining that goal, discover those gifts, and deliver those goods. It will bring significance and meaning to your life, and plus, we need you to help build this kingdom. There are people out there that are lost and need to be found, and we cannot do this alone. We cannot go into this battle with one less brick layer to build God's kingdom. We need you, and you need that too, because it'll really help you find meaning and significance in your life. God's giving you a call. He's calling you right now. Pick it up. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love us and thank you that you have a plan for our lives. Every one of us has a plan. It's very unique, but what's common is the process to discovering the plan. It's through service. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, your process for us would not be any less than the one you went through yourself. I pray every person in this room, from the sound of my voice, they would hear you calling them to yourself. It first begins with knowing Christ as Savior, saying, Jesus, you are God. You died for my sins, you rose again. I give you my life. And God, for the rest of us, I pray that we will recommit in some cases and commit to the, for the first time in others, that we will be determined once again to focusing on that goal of service, discovering our gifts and delivering those goods because every good and perfect gift comes from above and people need to know it. We're not dead, you're not done. We receive that in Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for any reason, we have a prayer team here. Otherwise, you may be dismissed and let that family of 12 get into Julio's, okay? Go for it. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.